Welcome to the extra here on KRDO News Radio. I'm your host, Andrew Rogers, uh, continuing to uh, highlight the dozen candidates that are running for mayor of Colorado Springs right now. I'm joined in studio this morning by Sally Clark. Sally, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here this morning. Absolutely. And you know, uh, I've started a lot of these interviews off with these same questions. Mm -hmm. Some said might be the hardest. Some said it might be the easiest. (laughs) But uh, who is Sally Clark? Well, you know, um, I, I'm I'm just, a, I'm a, not just, but I'm a small business owner. I've owned my own business for going on almost 37 years, so almost four decades. And, um, you know, one day I sort of uh, stumbled into, I think, public office by the fact that the politicians at City Hall wanted to close our fire station and station three over on the west side. And this was back in 1997. And so I sort of accidentally got into government by being the spokesperson to save fire station three. And so through that whole um, process, I decided, well, I could, you know, I, I could do better than those folks up there on the dais. And so I jumped into the, uh, the city council race and was able to get elected to city council. And that was back in the 2000 timeframe. So then I moved over to the county in about 2005, uh, as a county commissioner and served there for a few years. Also was elected as the National Association of Counties president. So I represented 3,000 counties nationwide and was elected by my peers to represent county government on Capitol Hill and uh, make sure that our voices were being heard about unfunded mandates and things that affect our local citizens and local government. And then in my last um, position after I left the Board of County Commissioners, I was appointed to serve as the state director for USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, in rural development. So essentially it's economic development for rural communities, small communities throughout the state of Colorado, and then represented 13 western states back in D.C. as well as the representative for my region. So I've, you know, I've had kind of a varied background and back in Colorado Springs here and the mayor's race came up and I just really feel that, you know, I've been preparing for this for a long time and this is the right time to do this, especially where we are in terms of our uh, city, the things, the challenges that we have ahead, as well as the benefits that we have ahead to make sure we keep this a great community and a magnificent city that it already is. Absolutely. And, you know, you've mentioned, you know, kind of being a longtime resident here in Colorado Springs, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, serving, you know, back, you know, in the, you know, the early 2000s. What have you seen as far as, you know, changes as far as how things have been run, that kind of government and representation here in Colorado Springs then compared to uh, where we're sitting right now? Well, I think uh, the things that I bring to the table too is my husband and I, you know, we, we moved here by choice. Um, he was in the Navy, so I was an, a military wife and I think he got tired of going out to sea for long periods of time and wanted to spend more time at home. And we had honeymooned in Colorado, so we've been married for 42 years. Um, We basically moved here. And, you know, when we moved in 1985, so that's when we moved to Colorado Springs, so, you know, nearly four decades, um, we really just saw that it was just such a beautiful place, had a lot of potential but the growth, I think, is is frustrating everyone. Although, you know, I'm not a native. My dad grew up in Pueblo, 
but I didn't come. I wasn't from Colorado originally. I have family roots here. And so I think just the growth is concerning folks. They see a lot of a lot of big buildings going up that, you know, they're worried about um, our resources, natural resources, water and electricity and the things that are happening. And the growth is creating its own difficulties with an increase in an uptick in crime. Uh, we have a homeless problem. And, and certainly I think the, the fact that uh, we have, you know, a lack of affordable housing is becoming critical as well as folks look for jobs and and places to live and be able to pay for those 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 housing options Mm -hmm. and you know looking at your background right now there's a lot of people that might say having that you know kind of outsider fresh perspective is good but you've really worked at all different levels as far as local government and you know that how do you say that prepares you for this next venture and you know to assume this new role well, I think that I'm uniquely qualified in the sense that I have that understanding of navigating Capitol Hill, um, pushing back on the federal government many times. It wasn't necessarily in agreement with what was going on in D.C. Um, or at the state level. I testified quite a few times on on wildfire issues, on business issues, on taxation issues at the state of Colorado. Um, so I'm, I'm quite familiar, and, and I think it's important for the mayor to use our influence where we can. You know, we look at the the continuing discussion about what happens to Space Command headquarters and does it stay, does it go? You know, what's the mayor's role in that? And, you know, I've been kind of posting on my blog what I think the mayor's role is in dealing with issues like homelessness, the evacuation planning, Uh, that a lot of residents are concerned about after the Waldo Canyon fire. Those are things that uh, that I think I can tackle. And I think it puts me in a unique position. In addition to, as you said, being from outside of government currently working in my own business, I understand what it's like to make payroll. I understand what it's like to have to pay taxes, to implement policies that are pushed down to us from the state government, um, just as as, as a result from the Family Leave Act. You know, those are all things you have to keep up with when you're a business owner and manager people. So it really, I think, gives me a unique perspective and a u- unique qualifications to be able to do this job. And I think that I'm the, really the only candidate that has that varied um, list of qualifications and experience under my belt. Absolutely. We're going to talk more about that decision to run for mayor, kind of mm-hmm. that position as far as, you know, the where the mayor should place with that as we continue. We have to take a short break. We'll be back with Sally Clark, candidate for mayor, still ahead here on The Extra on KRDO News Radio. Welcome back to The Extra here on KRDO News Radio. We are continuing the conversation with Sally Clark, candidate for mayor here in Colorado Springs with the upcoming election on April 4th. And Sally, you know, that first segment, we talked a little bit about your background and really the next kind of question phase of this is what really led to that decision to run for mayor? I know we briefly touched on it, but let's Mm -hmm. expand on that here. Well, you know, I think that uh, we've seen not just here in Colorado Springs, but in our country, how the the challenges we're facing. I mean, inflation's up. I mean, I don't know about you, but my utility bill has doubled in mm-hmm. the last couple of years, and that's a concern. You know, I don't want Mr. and Mrs. Smith to have to decide how they're whether they're going to buy medicine or pay their utility bill. Um, I think that folks are really concerned about being safe, and my priorities really are safe neighborhoods. 
uh, crime prevention and public safety support and improving emergency response times. Certainly the wildfire and pre-disaster planning is on my list and tackling really the cost of living challenges, especially when it relates to good primary jobs and finding good primary jobs here and being an affordable housing champion, figuring out how we do a better job to make sure that um, our kids and 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 young folks who are coming up through the ranks have, uh, you know, can can really experience the American dream and own their own home. And then how do we deal with the community homeless solutions? Um, how do we how do we really find a solution that helps us so that we can get these these um, people that are maybe in need to be tough, to be compassionate and be also innovative all at the same time so that we have a clean city and a safe city where we can walk our trails in open spaces and not feel afraid. So I think that there's there's a lot of things here on the horizon. You know, I think about it sort of if you're in a car and you're driving along a road and you come to a bridge and it might have been in good shape a few years ago, but now it's starting to deteriorate. Do you really want to drive across it or do you want to figure out how to fix it as we move forward? And we're, we're really, I think, at a tipping point of going in one direction or another. And I think the experience that I bring to the table in the private sector, in the public sector, being from outside of government and inside of government and understanding all of it, um, I bring those unique qualifications to the job and we can really make a, a, not just a dent, but we can keep this community beautiful, which is the reason that I came here over um, about 40 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, you'd mentioned, you know, kind of during that first segment about, you know, kind of what the role of mayor should have with some of these bigger issues as far as, you know, the homelessness, affordable housing. So mm-hmm. what do you see as far as the role of mayor kind of moving? the city ahead compared to where we might be right now? Well, uh, the mayor really can be the convener to bring people together. When I was president of National Association of Counties, we as president of, of NACO, I was able to convene a task force on the opioid issue. Um, and we actually did some things here went with the attorney general as part of that whole piece. So, and now of course we're seeing fentanyl and other things coming into the discussion. It's not just about um, opioids. It's, it's, it's bigger than that, um, unfortunately. But I guess I would say the convener of, of bringing f- different entities together, whether those are nonprofits, those are government agencies, those are private businesses, uh, those are advocates maybe, people that are in that area. Um, when we look at homelessness, um, it's complicated. I mean, you've got different segments. Um, you you have, you know, certainly those families who are just having a bad piece of luck and need a little bit of a hand up. You have single folks who maybe have substance abuse or mental health issues. So you need to kind of figure out how to separate those. And then there is a criminal element to that. You know, our police department has said there's, you know, quite a few people that are, you know, living along our creeks that have warrants out for their arrest. So we know that that there's different segments. Again, going back to the mayor's role really sometimes is to create the opportunities for solutions and then help the the city move forward to come up with really a plan. Um, in my first um, 30, 60, 90 days, within 30 days, we will have had a transition plan people in those positions to help us determine how we move forward. In 60 days, we'll have the plan in place. And by 90 days, we will be in the implementation stage for a strategic plan engaging the city council, the citizens, and certainly a very professional group of people who have 
uh, knowledge in different areas that impact the city. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned that relationship with the city council. Obviously, when you were on the city council, it was um, a different form of mayor, of Mary Lou Makepeace, more mm-hmm. of that kind of yeah. ceremonial, kind of roller out, cut right. some ribbons, kind of the cheerleader for the city. Right. And now we're on to uh, this next role will be our third iteration of the strong mayor form. And how do you see that position kind of growing in that relationship with council, knowing that it started off pretty rocky during the uh, first term with Mayor Bach? You know, I think that um, there's a there's a part that you need to stay in your own lane, mm-hmm. but at the same time you need to collaborate. So it's uh, no, no city department is an island. The mayor is the CEO essentially of the city. And, you know, I'm asking for the citizens to hire me as the CEO and to let me be successful. With that in mind, though, I think council needs to have the best information that they have when they make decisions. So it's the mayor's role to uh, put appoint those officials that oversee the parks department, the police department, the fire department, all of the different departments that operate in the city. But it's also the mayor's role to make sure that city council has the best and most open information so that they can make the best decisions when they're on the dais when it's in their role, which would be essentially from a legislative and quasi-judicial, meaning land use and land Mm -hmm. use development. Yeah, and you know, one thing that also the mayor really works with is that kind of, you know, hiring, overseeing the, you know, police, fire chief as Mm -hmm. well. Obviously, law enforcement definitely under more scrutiny now than ever before, especially after the uh, release of video a few weeks ago out of Memphis. So what do you see as far as kind of those policy discussions with uh, Mayor Vasquez as far as how Colorado Springs police really interact with the community and continue meeting our growing needs? Well, I think that, that that really needs to be looked at. Um, one of the things I think is important, too, is that we hire the best and brightest. And it's a challenge nationwide. It's not unique to Colorado Springs. We have about 821 positions that are um, authorized by the budget. And that was, you know, that's in the budget. But we don't have 821 in our force. And I think that's the problem, you know, is it how are we going to retain um, our attrition rate, according to the chief, is about 9.5% over the last four years. So what <clears throat> what that means in terms of that is that we can never catch up. If we're short 50 to 70 officers and our attrition rate of what we're losing every year from retirements or resignations for whatever reason they're leaving we're never going to be able to make that 821. So what can we do? Maybe other cities are doing it better. Maybe we're able to um, handle that in a different way, look at benefits and pay and all of those pieces, and then look at trying to grow our own and, and really get into the schools and let kids know that this is a great career that they might want to be interested in. Absolutely. You know, we're coming up on our <laughs> a short break. We'll have an update on our national and local headlines as well. But in the meantime, Sally, if people want to maybe spend a little time kind of during that break, get some more information about you, more details on these policies, what's the best way to do that? Um, The best way is really to go to my website and that's electclark.com. That's E-L-E-C-T and then C-L-A-R-K.com. And that also has my blog. It has an events page. It's got a lot of information about me and you can contact me very directly through that website. Perfect. We're going to continue our conversation with Sally Clark, candidate for mayor still ahead right here on KRDO News Radio. 
Welcome back to The Extra here on KRDO News Radio, continuing our conversation with Sally Clark, one of the dozen of candidates running for mayor here in Colorado Springs. You know, we've talked a little bit about you know, your background, mm-hmm. the decision, kind of yes. role of mayor. Yeah. Uh, let's start. Let's turn to the city. And, you know, what are you, some of the biggest things you see currently facing the city of Colorado Springs going into this next mayoral term? Well, and I think we talked a little bit about the break at the break, uh, you know, whether the city's going in the right direction. And, you know, I, I think yes, and in some ways and no in others. And so um, I, that's, I think, why I'm stepping forward. Um, as it relates to, you know, what we need to do, I, I think being a small business owner, I think the unique perspective that I bring is the ability to pivot quickly, you know, when, when the economy changes, when things happen. And, you know, uh, while I think the, the current mayor, Mayor Southers, has done a good job at setting a really good foundation, um, we are, I think, at a tipping point where we can either tip down or, or tip backwards and, and, I, and go forward or go backwards. And I, so I think that um, as it relates to us, we, we are in a difficult place. Um, you know, when the Waldo Canyon fire happened, I was a county commissioner and, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing the first little plume of smoke that ended up obviously a raging fire. And then after the fire and, and so many folks, um, God bless them, lost their, their homes and the fire and were panicked trying to get out of the neighborhood. Then we had the floods in Manitou, and I was a county commissioner, so the the whole District 3 area where the fire was was in my district, and we had to fight fight for our dollars to get help from the federal government for recovery dollars for emergency watershed protection to keep Highway 24 open and to help those folks that had lost their homes in the floods that had survived the fires. So being able to, you know, quickly turn on a dime, I think is just something that I'm used to doing. As we look forward, um, you know, we have some um, significant social issues that I think are impacting us as well as the fact that we've we've got you know we're, we're growing I mean we've added since 2010 um, probably 68,000 people when I moved to Colorado Springs almost 40 years ago I believe our population here in the Springs was about 223,000 well we're almost half a million people at this point in Colorado Springs and the county is even larger probably is the largest county in the state of Colorado um, Denver's landlocked, so it's a lot bigger. But I, I really think that we have to plan for this growth. And you know, the, there's been a big talk about the water ish, issue and the ordinance that's coming forward to City Council. And I'm just going to be honest here and say that this this is not the best way to do this. We need to plan better. Um, I, during my first 90 days, we will put a task force together to really look about, look at this and bring the right people to the table to make sure what is that number. And I have not heard that the science and data is really behind the number that is arbitrarily being set, which could impact our ability to grow in affordable housing, for instance. So all of these things have to be looked at individually as we grow um, the homeless issues that are, you know, that's one of the things that I hear the most. And and it's not just where I live in the downtown kind of west side area. It's all over. I mean, I've heard from people in Rustic Hills, uh, Briargate, um, over on the west side, you know, in certain areas where they're really concerned. Ivy Wild. Um, there are different neighborhoods that are that are dealing with the same issue with regard to homeless camps. Um, and the number of fires that were started, you know, 157 fires this year that were started by these homeless camps. So 
we have got to get a handle on this. I want to be compassionate, but I we also have to have a toughness to really deal with it and bring the agencies together, including the government, including and it and it I, I think it sort of spills over into the affordable housing discussion too. So these issues are not easy. They're complicated. But I have really, I think, a track record of bringing people together. When the Waldo Canyon fire happened and we had all these dollars flowing in, I worked with the city and we I created and, and co-chaired mm-hmm. the committee to for the Waldo Canyon Regional Recovery Group so that we could really work together and make sure that we weren't competing with ourselves or the same amount of dollars. Those are the things that I think I've worked on that show that I can do this job. Yeah, and you know, let's go back to the uh, the water discussion a little bit because mm-hmm. we know the city had passed that uh, earlier this week. I guess that number moved down to 128. So how do we balance that need as far as really making sure that we are, you know, sustainably growing, but knowing the fact that we're becoming more of a destination community, that we have this housing shortage and we need to find somewhere to put more people coming in. And especially if Space Command ends up permanently here, knowing the draw that that'll be not only uh, DOD, but the contractor jobs associated. Sure, absolutely. Well, and again, it's, I mean, it's really about not just growing, but it's about how do we grow smartly? How do we do that? Do we put an arbitrary, just a, a little fence around the city and say, don't grow? Um, that creates its own challenges because growth is still going to happen. Now it's going to be in the unincorporated part of the county and those county residents who are in the unincorporated areas will still use our roads. They'll still be coming in and out of the city and eventually they may be coming to ask for city water. Mm-hmm. On this, At the same time, we have a lot of water districts in the unincorporated county and having been a county commissioner, I understand the water issue um, probably better than some. In fact, I was on council when we first started talking about southern delivery system and then worked um i worked with several folks and and we created um the fountain creek watershed district to be able to work with our partners in pueblo and get the pipeline installed so uh, what i think has to happen is a community discussion but a county discussion it's got to include the water districts it's got to include el paso county and the county commissioners we've we've got to establish really growth policies as a more of a region or in a countywide piece because the city will be impacted no matter what. Um, And those folks that already live here need to be the priority. I mean, those, uh, but we're still going to see growth. We can't just stop people from moving here. It's a great place to live. Um, So within the first 90 days, I want the task force to come up with some recommendations of what is the right number. Is it a percentage? Is it this 130? Or I mean, it's like there's a goalpost that keeps moving. One day it's 130, then it's recommended 125. Now it's at 128. We don't really know. And what science and data is that based on in terms of our water availability? So I think a more thoughtful approach rather than just a knee jerk to try and, you know, please, you know, one one group or one special interest, we've got to look at this more regionally and engage in that discussion to make sure that we do the right land use policies that will benefit the city and our city residents at the same time understanding that the county still impacts our city as well. Yeah, and you know, you'd mentioned that you kind of see the city almost at that kind of tipping point right now where we're a few decisions either way from either taking a step back or moving ahead. What would be that uh, kind of straw that breaks the camel's back in your mind that would maybe set us on the uh, backward trajectory? Well, I think, you know, if if you create an arbitrary number, 
where you can't grow at all, then it's going to landlock us. And and while I understand we need to take care of those who already live here first, and that's our priority, it also, all I keep hearing is, you know, we need more affordable housing. So do, do we put the affordable housing then in the unincorporated parts of the county so that it's harder to get to and then you know what what if their water resources become less are they going to be coming to the city asking for asking for water city water and Mm -hmm. when I was on utilities we had these difficult discussions about whether we should as a city be supplying water outside of the city limits and at the time I was there I think Denala was one of them that came forward we said no Um, you know we also said no to to broadband expansion because we felt it was competing with um, private business and you know now we're seeing utilities getting into the broadband business so that's a whole nother discussion but there are some things that I you know as an observer I see and think didn't we already discuss that a number Mm -hmm. of years ago and didn't we already say no to that but um but times change and we have to be flexible. But I think bringing the right people and stakeholders to the table is key in solving this water initiative. Absolutely. You know, a number of uh, other big topics has been, you know, that infrastructure as well and kind mm-hmm. of that balancing, you know, going over that larger term as far as, you know, growth and how to balance the needs of the existing plus, you know, how we do it. We know there's the east-west transportation issue. Correct. I know uh, years ago, the fix all for that was Austin Bluffs and Union and then that was pretty short-lived. So what needs to be done as far as that infrastructure growth, knowing that uh, there's still a lot of landlockedness here in Colorado Springs to be able to do anything? Well, and you've, you're a native, and, and I've been here a long time, and I remember when we first moved here, there was that song called uh, Pray For Me, I Drive Academy, mm-hmm. um, because Academy was supposed to be a limited access highway essentially it was a dirt road i mean i still hear people say i remember when academy was a dirt road it was supposed to be limited access and so it's not now because curb cut after curb cut and that's you have transportation plans in place that then keep getting changed as growth and and folks come forward and say well i want a curb cut for my shopping center now i want a curb cut here and curb cut there so where you had an expressway before is now not an expressway and we talked about powers you know, and the flyovers and how that's going to happen. Well, now Powers has become a little bit of a problem. So now we're off to Mark Shuffle. And now Mark Shuffle is seeing a few more of those mm-hmm. <clears throat> curb cuts as they as they come in. So we have to be strong, too, about if we're going to make it that way. We should, use exi- we should use roads that are new when we establish them, but we need to stick to, we really need to stick to the agreements that were made so that it doesn't deteriorate year after year. That's a planning issue as much as it's a growth issue. And, and so uh, as mayor, I think it's important to look ahead and say, you know, can we look back and see what, what we did in the past that didn't work so well? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just putting, just putting freeways through existing neighborhoods is not necessarily the best option either. And the East-West Mobility Study was done when I was on city council in the 2000 timeframe. And I don't think a whole lot's been changed. It's just mainly mainly updating that plan. Yeah. And, you know, even back then, you know, the idea of constitution to the interstate, probably agreeable. Yeah, be nice. But you can't, as you mentioned, cut a freeway into an existing neighborhood right now. Right. And I think in some ways that the city has has kind of become 
um, sort of flip-flop on these because in some neighborhoods we're traffic dieting and in the others we're wanting to expand and, you know, essentially draw a line through a neighborhood and, and create division. And so we've got to figure out how to balance all of these things so that it protects existing neighborhoods but still allows for those transportation corridors. And I was part of actually the, the group that started the discussion about the gap too and getting that done. And finally we got our dollars and, and that's been completed. And I was driving back to back and forth to Denver during the construction period. Now I don't do that in much anymore, but um, thank, thankfully it's in place. Absolutely. We have to take one more quick break. We're going to wrap up the conversation with Sally Clark, candidate for mayor still ahead right here on KRDO News Radio. Welcome back to The Extra here on KRDO News Radio. Man, this hour has gone by very quick, continuing the conversation with Sally Clark, a candidate for mayor. And, you know, before the break, we talked a lot about mm-hmm. the issues with the city right now, kind of that discussion of not being able to just kind of chop up and, you know, kind of isolate different areas of the city, having to look holistically. Uh, one thing I know you uh, had worked on was with the Waldo Canyon recovery. Yeah. Big, the big topic, uh, at least now, has been those kind of future response issues. If there has to be another evacuation, are we on the right track with that, knowing that we are such a diverse city and we you know, have so many different microclimates within one area? Well, I think I think we're on the right track, but we're not there yet. And and I'll, I'll preface that by saying it, what I think is important to note that citizens who were impacted by the Waldo Canyon fire, um, in particular those that were, I mean, imagine how frightening that would have been mm-hmm. to be, you know, stuck in traffic. And and then, of course, we see, you know, other paradise and what happens in other states and in this gridlock that trying to get out of the neighborhood and panic in that sense. In fact, I talked to a woman this morning, a lady who called me and she said her mom was in her 90s and she was, she was trying to get out and how frightening that was for her. She was in a, a nursing home. Um, what I what I have said is, you know, first of all, I think what I bring to the table is really wanting to do robust stakeholder processes and not to just do process to, to create a plan and stick it on a shelf and never dust it off again. I think that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when citizens come forward and they're concerned about something, it's important to sit down with them because they may have some really good ideas you hadn't thought of before. Don't assume that just because they're citizens, they're not smart. Um, when I was a, a citizen and, and running my business and Fire Station 3 happened and they were the politicians were going to close our fire station, our, our uh, group came together, our neighborhood came together and got data about response times. And man, I learned a lot about the fire department and how they operate. And as a result, we could talk about numbers as we could as we talked about the pieces. So related to the emergency evacuation plan, one of the things that I want to talk to really bring to the table are looking at research and best practices around the country. And one of them is through the National Fire Protection Association, which is a well-respected agency. It's a, a nonprofit. And it's called NFPA, and they have um, NFPA 1616 has a mass evacuation, sheltering, and reentry program piece that we could adopt here. And that may just be one of many, many things, but I don't think that the city's ordinance went far enough. I think that it basically um, was a feel good, you know, we did something. Mm-hmm. even though it wasn't really solving it. And we didn't really listen, I don't think, to the residents enough. And I, so I think there's another opportunity for me to put something together 
as as the mayor, I again, it goes back to that being the convener to bring citizens to the table. I'd like to have more town meetings where I get in, out into the community and bring in city council members from those districts to talk to people about what's driving them crazy, you know, what's keeping them up at night in their neighborhoods. And so as it relates to the fire evacuation piece, I think we need to go back and look at that and make sure that people are getting the information they need to be safe. And whether that's living out on the Eastern Plains and there's a grass fire or whether that's our huge wildland interface, people may not know out of the $20 million that was given over as part of the Tabor refund Mm -hmm. to wildfire mitigation that we can only spend a a maximum of 5% per year out of that 20 million on mitigation. Well, we shouldn't be restricted by some of that. I think that that's not enough. And so do we need to go look back and look at that and put that back on the ballot and ask for some modifications to that? I even wasn't aware of it until I really looked at the ballot language. So it's a good reason. Um, it was good that that we passed it. But I do think that, you know, having worked a lot in fire mitigation and the different things I did in Washington, D.C. and and at the state level, that's a really important piece. Yeah, Sally, you know, we're up against the clock, but if anyone wants to get more information about some of these detailed policies or maybe reach out, find ways to get involved, what's the best way to do so? The best way to get a hold of me, um, and you can get a hold of me personally because my email is right there as as my cell phone number on the website. It's electclark.com, so E-L-E-C-T and then C-L-A-R-K.com. I have a blog. I have a listing of all the events. You can, you can meet me in person. I have my own personal events, but I also have all the public events posted Perfect. as well. Perfect. Again, that website is electclark.com. Sally, we really appreciate Thank your time you, Andrew. joining me here. It's been morning. great. I know it's a short. It seems like a long time, but it's short. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely a very fast-moving um, hour, but we appreciate the time. Thank, Thank you, you for listening. We have the Tom Martino Show up next right here on KRDO News Radio.